Yeah, yeah. Just uh, right over there. You could put the couch over there. Uh, be careful with the with the uh, Xbox mini fridge. Uh, okay, mini fridge is put in the corner. Okay, guys, be careful with that TV. Let's we're gonna mount that over here. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of liking how this is all coming together. I think this is gonna be this is gonna be a great a great space. I th- thank you, thank you so much. You guys are doing a great work so far. Hey, whoa, hey, what? Jordan, how's it going? What's uh? What's all this? What's happening? Uh, it's, the, it's my office. What are you doing in here? Hey, uh, what's up? What are you doing here? I mean, I'm I'm coming to work in my office at Insurgents uh, Global Headquarters, as I do every single day, except the multiple days a week when I when I don't do that. But uh, so I, I'm a little surprised. I don't I don't. You're, I see you're tearing down. You're creating some kind of open space. What looks a to be like lounge. a gamer lounge kind of a thing, yeah, yeah, a gamer which I would support usually, but this is supposed to be my kind of personal little zone here, so I'm a little curious about what's going on with that. I thought you were suspended. Okay. Suspended from... Uh, Twitter? Thought I just had to... Did I just cease to exist? I just had to stay, stay home? Kind of a house arrest? Kind of a... I mean, is that what you think that means when that don't get me wrong? When I opened Twitter this morning and saw that you were suspended, I was sad. Yeah, I just, it seems you know, like you were devastated. I, just, I just thought that weekdays are typically cheaper to get construction work done. So I just, you know, I wanted to, I called my just therapist. Yeah. I just kind of ran through the grief process and I just thought like, Hey, let me just hit the ground running. Yeah. I don't want to dwell on it. You, you know, you shouldn't dwell on the past, man. Like <laughs> I just, that, I, what's done is done. Looking forward, not backward kind of thing. Usually yeah. I understand that. You like, I say that often, you know that I'm uh-huh. often saying that. Yeah. Uh, it was just a couple hours, you know, wasn't that big of a deal. Just the Twitter account was taken down. I think it was some, I think I got caught up in some kind of a sweep for, bots and scam accounts i talked to elon we, yeah. we went over it and he restored everything he was he was very apologetic and he said that mm-hmm. he liked my content actually and he thinks that it's good so it was all just kind of a big misunderstanding so i'm back online i'm back on twitter and i'm back in the office so if we could just go ahead and put up that cubicle uh wall again and get get that things just... back to normal just really thought we could use a gamer lounge here and i just thought we you know we'd have this space and no one would be using it and it would just be too depressing it is but nice. how about this we, thank you we've already put so much work into this let's set you up in the supply closet hmm. it's it's cool it never gets too hot i know you're always like uncomfortable with the with the climate in the office yeah. so i can just get a desk in there we'll have judy take care of it yeah why don't we just move you there there's a bunch of cool like cleaning products and stuff in there yeah as well Mm -hmm. you know that's fine if you ever need to need something fabuloso tastes great if you've never if you've ever tried it it's so tempting you know (laughs) or that that pine saw the purple kind i always just always wondered about that it looks delicious now you can find out all right that's fine we'll keep the lounge Hey, real quick question. Did Ken come back? God, I hope not. 
Oh, oh boy. What a what a what a wild week. What a crazy what a crazy time. Very exciting. It was very exciting, Jordan. I was being at the center of big big controversy. For once that was yeah. not my doing. For yeah. once it wasn't just people it wasn't just people yelling at me because of the things that I say. People were, you know, being nice, kind of. Not everyone, but <laughs> now people are just right back to yelling at me about the things that I say and do. So you now it's back, back to status quo, I guess. Yeah. This time the controversy found you rather yeah. than you creating it, which <laughs> yeah. is it's a good change of pace. Yeah, it was different. It's nice to switch it up. <laughs> anyway, we had um, my friend Paris Marks come on the program today. Uh, they're the host of the Tech Won't Save Us podcast. I think one of the one of the better uh, analysts, commentators, podcasters out there talking about tech and the tech industry and um, viewing things through this kind of like leftist lens at the same time. I really do appreciate the work that Paris does. Paris came on. We talked about that whole incident and all about what's been happening with uh, Elon Musk's uh, increasingly erratic and deranged behavior. Uh, a couple of other uh, news stories in the tech world. It was a really great convo. Happy to have Paris on the show today. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate Paris's commentary. This is, this is a really fun one. Um, I, I think people are going to enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, before Paris comes on, I know it's late and I did kind of want to breeze through this intro, but probably worth pointing out now that um, there are airstrikes taking place right now um, against these uh, Houthi positions in Yemen, who have of course been like part of this blockade um, in the Red Sea in an effort to disrupt uh, shipping lanes and commerce in an effort to put pressure on Israel. And uh, so now we have like a, a serious escalation with Biden and along with Rishi Sunak in the UK kind of coming together to uh, bomb these positions. It's amazing some of the spin we're hearing on like CNN. They're saying, oh, this is like a, this is a de-escalation tactic. It's a de-escalation to now uh, open up a total other front in this uh, in this conflict, which will most likely lead to uh, even further retaliation and has a, has just increased the possibility that this is going to spiral out of control even more. Um, so it's amazing the spin from the Biden administration from the U.S. media talking about it. it's like a, some kind of de-escalation tactic when it very well could be another domino falling in this in a in a full on like regional conflict here so that's uh, probably something we should mention before we get to this uh, conversation yeah this happened right before we started recording um and as longtime listeners of the show know um the u.s's role in yemen is something we've talked about on this show for years something that we've drove action uh from listeners and other people to try to slow down or, or stop the u.s's support for the Saudi uh, war on Yemen and their blockade, which created, at that point, the worst humanitarian crisis in the world. So that's not a topic that's foreign to us. Uh, we will do more coverage, um, more commentary uh, next week uh, on our on an upcoming episode. But yeah, this happened just, just before we started recording, so it's it's absolutely worth mentioning. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be really... Uh, Interesting to see uh, how and if that develops. Uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a scary moment of possibility where things could really escalate from this point. Um, 
So I guess we're just gonna have to keep our eyes on that. It's kind of funny. Like there's been, I've seen you get that criticism. I've certainly got that criticism over the last couple of months talking about Israel being like, oh, you'll focus on Israel, but you'll never talk about what's been happening in Yemen for the last several years. And it's like, yeah, we have done that actually quite a lot. Um, I have a tattoo. I have a tattoo about my advocacy for Yemen (laughs) as quote punishment for raising money for the Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation. So try that on literally anybody else. Uh, yeah, I th- it's 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 funny how people have been willing to like throw around that uh, that kind of accusation without doing any research whatsoever into like the things that the things that we like to spend our time talking about. One th- I did mention on Twitter, I said something I guess that, that people have found quite controversial as well, where I mentioned that Yemen not giving some kind of blanket level of support for you know uh, what happens there or like the Houthis, but. The fact is, like they have been meaningfully doing more to try and stop this ongoing genocidal campaign uh, from happening in Gaza by stopping these, uh, disrupting this kind of commerce and these shipping lanes, um, which I think is just like an objective fact that they're doing way more than almost any other country at this time. That doesn't mean that everything that happens in Yemeni society is something that I blanket agree with or support. That's not the case, but I think it's just a basic fact that by engaging in this blockade, they've done meaningfully more than Canada or the United States who are helping to fund this ongoing bombing campaign. So I think that's something we should remember. A point something we should also talk about. He's doing that, you know, Biden is doing this without congressional approval and yet another example of how, uh, U S American presidents just can do whatever they want. And there are some members of Congress, a couple of progressives who are already criticizing these strikes. Um, but it, it's not a critical mass. We won't get a critical mass because most of Congress is okay with it. They can act like it if, if the other party's in charge, but kudos to the handful of progressives who have already spoken up tonight within hours calling this out. Um, yet again, we have an example of a, a warmonger president bypassing congressional approval to attack a country. Yeah. And it shows exactly like what the function of the United States military is, um, which is to protect international commerce. It's basically the, you know, the armed wing of the, the capitalist class. And that's the one thing that you can't ever threaten these international shipping routes and, and slowing down international commerce like that. So you'll see the art, the military totally not only standing by and allowing Israel to carry out this genocidal campaign, but openly encouraging them and arming them and supporting them. But the moment you take one step to stop that by uh, messing around with with shipping lanes and international commerce, that's when the United States military will arbitrarily decide to start uh, attacking you. That's absolutely, that's the function of uh, what the military does. And, you know, that's the function of what imperialism is. We're seeing it in action right now. Anyway, don't want to get too deep into this. Um, we got a great conversation with Paris Marx coming up, so let's get to that. And we should definitely be keeping our eyes on how that story develops over the next uh, couple of days. Absolutely. I'm sure we'll have more to talk about uh, on the next episode about that. But before we get to Paris Marx, for anyone that wants to support the work that we do here on the Insurgents Podcast and get access to all the wonderful bonus content that we've done over the last few months and years, Please subscribe to the podcast if you can at insurgentspod.com. That's the plug. And now let's get to our conversation with Paris Marks <laughs> of Tech Won't Save Us. They will be joining the show right after this.
And now we are joined by Paris Marks of the Tech Won't Save Us podcast. Very popular podcast. Happy to have Paris Marks on the program. Paris, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty How's good. Great to speak with you. It's great to speak with you too. I saw that the podcast just got picked up by the nation. That's cool. That's exciting. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's going to be a cool kind of partnership to allow those like critical perspectives on tech to you know reach more people, which is always the goal. So yeah, I'm excited yeah, about it. Absolutely, very cool. Jordan, uh, Jordan, do you want to hit Paris with the 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 question? That's a, yeah, we haven't done that in a couple of weeks. I know, I know. You We've know, we, we tried to bring it back, and then I, I just been things have been too depressing. But I, think I know, I know. This conversation, we could. Now, Paris, we we start all of these conversations the same way, just so we know who we're dealing with, and honestly, whether the conversation should continue. So we've asked just about everybody, uh, and now it's your turn. Paris, are you a gamer? Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Good answer. <laughs> I'm playing Cyberpunk 2077 right now. Like, I know I'm really late to it, but they say it's finally good, and I'm really enjoying it. You just played that, right? I didn't make it all the way through. Um, okay. I kind of gave up on it, and I'm wondering if I should pick it back up. I didn't dislike it. I feel like I'm not good at it. I feel like I'm missing some step. I keep doing missions and just repeatedly getting owned, and I feel okay. like I'm, there's some kind of leveling up or grinding that I need to do that I've that I haven't been doing. What difficulty are you on? Like, I don't get killed. I'm on like easy because I don't like to do that. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I was too ambitious with the difficulty. I don't know. Yeah, I was just I, tired I'm, of getting always, always getting killed. So I was like, I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm just moving back to Fortnite. <laughs> I, I'm probably about like 18 hours into it, and like I'm having a good time in general. Like, I, I think I need to like keep going on the actual story missions and stuff, like running around the city, um, and actually get to it. I also have, um, I bought the new Avatar Frontiers of Pandora game, like Ooh, on the Boxing Day nice. sales. And I want to try that one out. Yeah. <laughs> I want to try it as well. As everyone knows, one of my favorite franchises. Absolutely. Universally on this program, that is the, the official stance of this <laughs> show that, that uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful franchise. And yeah, no, that does look really good. I have, I have a friend that works for Ubisoft. I was, was hoping to maybe get a, some kind of an insider insider deal there i can grab that bad boy i just want to be a navi flying on my my uh you know little dragon thing whatever they're called like yeah having a great time they're called ikron actually yeah right sorry <laughs> i i don't know if the whales jordan, are in this jordan one. just shaking his head in yeah. the yeah. i i want sucks. the whale the the tulkan like i want him yeah to show yeah up. i don't know yeah, if he's in this so that was one of the highlights of the of the new film um, yeah, and I just want to be able to unapologetically just decimate uh, agents of, of Western imperialism and colonialism, and defend defend the homeland of Pandora against these these the Sky People, the vile Sky People. Good, I'm glad that we're on the wonderful. same page with that. Yeah, it yeah. does. Well, like I said, <laughs> well, that's what that's why I love that franchise because it just makes you just unapologetically root for that, and it's like it's totally there's no ambiguity between who you're supposed to be cheering for it's just like no people that are being colonized have have absolute right to violently overthrow their uh, their occupiers Absolutely. i do not condemn the navi resistance i no. do not condemn it. no <laughs> um i i think they have uh, co-op you'll have to like get a coffee and we can okay. like go 
kill some sky people together. Okay, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I picked up Grand Theft Auto V again for the first time in a few years. I played a lot in like 2015, 2014, 2015, and didn't touch it for a while. It's wild. That game is so old. My God. It's crazy. And I've been playing online. So my fiance's little brother brought his Xbox when he stayed with us for uh, the holidays. And he's he was playing on the TV in the living room. And I'm kind of watching him just go nuts. And he's showing me all of these new things they've added over the past several years. I picked it up and it's like, all right, it is way more fun than it used to be. There's so much to do. But now that I've I've been playing a disgraceful amount for about a week and a half <laughs> and I just feel like I'm working. Like it's just a second job. It's like, oh, I got to go check on my, my <laughs> nightclub and then I have to do a weapons drop off. Then I have to go pick up some cargo and bring it back to my hangar. It's like at the end of the day, after like a couple hours, I'm like I just worked. I didn't do like I didn't just go on a rampage in the middle of Los Santos or San Andreas or wherever and like just kill a bunch of cops. I just delivered things for a couple hours. Like what, what am I doing here? And still it's it's still really fun. Totally. I used to I used to play Lord of the Rings online back in the day and like sometimes I would just go in there and like go to the Shire and like do some farming. Yeah. Like, you know, regular <laughs> old farming, like plant some pipeweed, plant some onions, like whatever else <laughs> and like just have a laugh and like listen to the music and look at the surroundings. I loved it. <laughs> the hobbits had, it like had it the, figured out. Was it the music, like the score from the films or was it similar or different? What was I the would music? say it was similar, but it was not the same music, but it was like still kind of had the same vibes to it for like the different okay, areas a lot and of, stuff. Right? A lot of flutes yeah. and stuff. Totally. Yeah. It's a kind of funny phenomenon, you know, like these. So, okay. These right wing guys and conservatives, they're against like wokeness and cancel culture. And like, they've always been like, oh, the, the woke left wants to censor this and they don't want to have like video game characters with big boobs or whatever it is, whatever they're <laughs> constantly complaining about. But now there's this whole other sec that's like Grand Theft Auto is coming out. It's like, wow, you think, oh, the game where you kill cops? Wow, I'm not comfortable with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those people, like, it's really weird. They're coming full circle and they're becoming like the scoldy, the scoldy cancel culture people now over Grand Theft Auto. It's not something I really predicted or, or saw coming. Yeah, I think they just want to be mad about things, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It seems like it. That conversation felt like a moment that they could exploit just for engagement or just for clout or attention. Because if someone just dug up one of these people who was pushing this, was Ian Miles Chong. Yeah. yeah. And someone just looked and found that he had written dozens of articles. Too upsetting. Dozens of articles about (laughs) Grand Theft Auto. It's like, too upsetting. Like, as if you don't know what the game is about going into the fifth installment. (laughs) Like, like, oh, oh, you do what? Like, give me a break. And Musk, Musk saying, oh, I just, I'm just so off put by this idea. Not in those words, but still like. Would did even Just, Musk tweet about it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> he was so so upsetting. You do illegal stuff. Oh no, you're doing <laughs> crimes in this video game. I'm he so, would love he, it. He like he plays a lot of video games, and I'm kind of surprised he's like pro games because he's also like people aren't having enough kids. So I'm surprised he's not like on the bandwagon of like the video games are making sure that the men aren't like reproducing, like take them all away, you know. But didn't he expose himself as being a fake gamer boy a couple months back when he talked about like Elden Ring and he was talking about, I didn't play Elden Ring, so I don't really know the lore or anything, but he was talking about his loadout 
and all these Elden Ring players oh, are like, yes. what is that? Like this doesn't yeah. mean nothing about this makes sense. This is so stupid. I never said he was a good gamer. I just said he <laughs> games. <laughs> He's not one of us. He's not part of the gamer community. No, sure. Um, not too long ago, he was saying that the character in Blade Runner's name is Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, that's Deckard. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's one of the cars that Blade Runner would would fly around. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. Yeah, fake fake gamer boy. Um, but we got to talk a little about Elon. So we tried to go for a couple of weeks without talking about him, but eventually we got to do a little update to talk about what this guy's doing. How is it for you? You become like one of the premier Elon Musk like uh, reporters. You know, you're, you're, <laughs> you always have to think and talk and talk about this man. How is that for you? Is that is that frustrating? Like, is, did you predict that that's where your career was going to go? Or <laughs> certainly not. Um, <laughs> It, I would say it depends on the moment. Like sometimes it's really entertaining and sometimes it just gets like really boring and depressing and like frustrating. Um, I would say in general, like it's interesting to talk about him because he does so many different things and like he's engaged with so much like, I don't know, yeah. in the world for better or worse. capable. Yeah. So at least like I'm not always talking about like the one thing like you know, Facebook is bad. Social media is bad. Like if I was talking about Mark Zuckerberg, right. But yeah. with Elon, like where he has his empire, like there's always a ton of different stuff to be talking about. And he's at like a bunch of crazy things. And he's all, he's also like at the intersection of so many things that are like relevant and important. And that we're kind of like talking about in society. So like, even when I'm talking about Elon, I'm not like totally talking about Elon, you know? Um, but I do think it's interesting because over the past like year or so, there's been this real reckoning, I think, with like the public's interest in and kind of enamorment with Elon Musk, because for so long, he was like held up as this man who was basically going to save us and bring us to Mars and all these other things. And now I think there's a really kind of much more widespread recognition that that is not the, not the case that, you know, he very much oversold himself to the public and the media helped him to do that. Um, and that he's really not nearly as like intelligent or as capable as we were led to believe. And obviously is having a really terrible impact as he, you know, more and more embraces like the hard right and the far right pushes those narratives kind of elevates and platforms, those sorts of people. Um, and now like we know not only need to deal with, you know, this, this billionaire who, um, has all this power, but who is also kind of helping right-wing political forces to, you know, gain momentum at a time when, you know, that's really kind of the last thing that we need. Yeah. Um, so it was really like, I want to get to all that. And I want to especially talk about these, like the, his increasingly kind of unhinged uh, descent down this, like uh, extremely reactionary pipeline, especially when it comes to like talking about immigration and framing this narrative basically that there's some kind of invasion of the United States by uh, people coming from the Southern border, Mexico and central and South America. He's insinuated a couple of times that Jewish people are directly connected to this idea. Like it's really like a, a very like fascist kind of conspiracy theory that is, that has led to uh, assaults and attacks on Jewish people who believe this kind of conspiracy about, about this like great replacement theory. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really amazing. Um, but it was all, it was also amazing that there's this controversy this week about 
Twitter accounts being uh, arbitrarily banned. Yeah, which, I wonder who was tied up in yeah, that. Which yours truly <laughs> was probably <laughs> notable. Nobody notable was suspended, so I think it was fine. <laughs> no one really, no one really minds. Just some randos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad he suspended Ken. I was all for that. Yeah, I thought I was disappointed when Ken was, got reinstated. That was tough, though. Yeah, a I mistake. Agree. Yeah, no. You know what um, though? Ken's always good at posting, and like when he came back and posted the Gandalf the white meme or, or like GIF, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I also love Lord of the Rings, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was good. Um. No, it was really surreal this week to to wake up and be like, oh, I see my Twitter account's been suspended, and I, you know, I've had a number of tweets about like Palestine that have, that have been seen by a lot of people over the last couple of months. So I was I was kind of anticipating that eventually I was going to have some kind of consequences for that. So I just assumed that it probably had to do with that, and it was just incredibly surreal to realize that I got caught up in some kind of like concerted effort to, to go after these specific accounts. And all of a sudden I see people all on Twitter talking about it and mentioning me along with all the other people that were caught up in it. It was, it was really, really bizarre. I didn't get any kind of indication about what rules were broken or what tweets were had, had triggered this or what the cause of it was or what I needed to do. Even afterward, they still never sent you anything. No, no. It just, it just what happened was it seemed like Musk started getting pressure from people like Glenn Greenwald and Jackson Hinkle, who he listens to. Um, and so, yeah, they shout out to Jackson Hinkle for having my back on that. But, uh, you know, <laughs> new BFF. To go, go with the go with the, the Lord of the Rings thing. I never thought I'd go. I'd be side by side with a with a Hinkle. I don't know how you describe <laughs> him at this point. Um, it, it was the whole. It was just so surreal. It was a surreal experience. And then, yeah, he just arbitrarily reversed it. No, no real explanation. He tried to have this like half-assed excuse that it had something to do with like bots. Oh, is there's sometimes there's these bot sweeps and scam accounts yeah, that we're I looking saw for. That. And it's like, it's like Elon, come on, sir! Like no one. It's like it was, if it that was, is true, though. Like that shows really how bad things are at Twitter. If like a bot sweep can happen and it takes out all these like legitimate accounts, but meanwhile, like all the crypto bots and stuff are still going strong on there. Yeah, they somehow figured out the the impenetrable mystery of how to pay five bucks a month or whatever it is to have your blue check <laughs> and then still do your scams and your bot stuff. It's like. This Elon's genius idea of dealing with this problem doesn't seem to have actually accomplished anything. In fact, as most people have seen by now, there's more bots and scams on Twitter than there ever have been. But the whole thing was just a really bizarre experience. Uh, I saw a lot of people make predictions or make assumptions about why this happened. And the bot thing doesn't check out. It does seem, though, that all of these people who were suspended were, have been critical of him because there was there have been plenty of people who have tweeted about Palestine yeah. and, and Gaza and Israel. And this seemed to be really specific to people who have been very critical of him. I mean, he definitely he's made it clear he doesn't like Ken. He made that clear years ago before he bought the platform. You. I think like to antagonize him and a handful of others that were suspended as well. Other people who weren't mentioned I, that I saw later on had been suspended as well. I feel like that's what it was, but the reason why it seemed like he wanted to do, this is my theory. 
he wanted to create buzz about the platform because this was the, this was the same day they launched those shows for Tulsi Gabbard and Don Lemon right. on the platform. So then you have all of this coverage about the platform and all of these reporters losing like their accounts, getting it back, no explanation. But then once you're there, you're being sent these posts about Don Lemon and Tulsi Gabbard, both of which include language about how X is the home for free speech on the internet. <laughs> I don't think it worked, but I, I, my guess is that's why they did it on that day. It's quite a promo strategy. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Marketing genius. Um, well, that's the thing. It, it seems like he was able to do this whole thing. Oh, I don't agree with any of these people, but I'm so committed to free speech that I'll reinstate them or whatever. And after looking at, I'm looking into this, it's very concerning looking into it. Um, which, but would no one really bought that because it really seemed like he was the idea that it was anyone else besides him that was directly involved with the, the whole thing in the first place is, it is pretty funny, far though, fetched right? because like, even with what he was doing in the past, like when he was doing his electric cars and um, his rockets and all those sorts of things. And like, you know, those companies were like largely going well, obviously they had their issues and, you know, there were things that were going on there that we don't need to get into. But in general, like if he was doing anything, he was like the pitch guy. He was the marketing guy. He like got the money to come in, um, you know, for the investors to stay interested, to ensure that he had his cult like going strong and that the media was pushing all this stuff out. Um, and I think it says something about like really how much he miscalculated the whole kind of Twitter fiasco, the whole like Twitter acquisition and what he decided to do with that, that even that like marketing piece that he was supposedly good at, even if other people were handling the engineering and he was taking credit for it, like he can't even get that right in this situation. Like everything is a total mess with this company. Like there's no way to look at it and say like, oh no, this one piece is like working well. It, it, it's just not like the whole thing should implode if he didn't have an, you know more money than like anyone could possibly imagine to keep it going. Yeah, and it's it's the kind of the same thing where it's like I wonder sometimes whether there's some evil nefarious plan or whether he's just acting erratically. He's in some K hole or something. He's like, I hate these accounts; they're always bugging me. Does something, <laughs> and then everyone gets mad, and the next day he just reverses it with no explanation. I think that's just as much of a likely explanation as any kind of like actual strategy or anything that he was doing. But there's been like I've seen reporting about how he's been how his behavior has been noticed by people like that the high level of these companies that he has been working with, right? Like, wasn't there recently like a, a SpaceX kind of all hands meeting that he was a part of where he was like, there was all kinds of reporting afterwards about how incoherent it was. And like, it seems like there's a lot of people genuinely wondering about what the hell's going on with him. Yeah, he, he's done that kind of a number of times, I think it's fair to say. And there was a report in the Wall Street Journal recently on kind of his drug use and kind of, you know, not just ketamine, but all the other things that he's reportedly doing and how, yeah, there was a, a SpaceX event where he was like totally incoherent. That was, I think, like an internal event. And Gwyn Shotwell, who is the president of SpaceX, had to kind of step in and take over for him and like 
get him out of there because he wasn't making any sense. Um, but of course, he's had public events as well where, um, you know, like the one where he told the advertisers to all go fuck themselves, where um, he just seems like completely off the rails, right? Um, there's another one as well where I don't know if you remember, but there was a, I believe it was a CNN interview a few years ago where he started like breaking down and crying like in the interview. Um, and it was 60 confirmed. Minutes. It was 60 minutes. You're right, right. Yeah. Um, it was confirmed that he was, on drugs as well during that interview. Um, and I believe like had not confirmed that he was doing that interview or maybe it was a, a yet another one. Um, but like, yeah, there's all these issues with like the PR stuff and like the PR people are losing their minds because he keeps like doing these interviews on drugs and like saying crazy shit. Um, but you know, <laughs> it, I think it just shows how everything is imploding and we've even reached the point where like the boards seem to be quite worried that he's, you know, about the, the amount of drugs he's doing and how it's affecting like the companies, because for a long time, like even when he was making terrible decisions, they would never say anything. But the fact that there were so many people who spoke to the wall street journal anonymously or on the record for them to write that huge story with all of these internal details, I think says something quite significant about also kind of what's happening inside of those companies, especially among like the management of board level, which could be concerning as we kind of go into this year. And it doesn't look like he has any intention of, you know, stopping this trajectory that he's on. Well, that 60 minutes interview was so funny because he was crying over the sec fining him for manipulating Tesla's stock price. And he was <laughs> saying he was, he was crying saying they don't believe in free speech. <laughs> And as if, like you can just do market manipulation or, or commit fraud. It's like, well, it's actually my free speech. And I, I thought that was just such a funny moment. But looking ahead now, um, like even this week, I saw people refreshing that clip this week because somebody hacked the SEC account yeah. to claim that you know like i can't remember what the specific claim was but it was something related to bitcoin it was kind of like an yeah, old it was something about the new bitcoin just, etfs or something like that yeah yeah and it's just like i mean they're gonna look into that and that person's fucked but it's just so weird how it comes full circle because now he's in control of the platform there they said that the sec didn't have two-factor authentication which means they probably didn't switch to an authentication app because elon took uh, the text-based yeah. two-step and paywalled it for Twitter Blue. Just a very <laughs> weird amount. Like all of these things connecting and, and coalescing this week is just really, really funny. Yeah, I mean, you talk about free speech and stuff in Tesla, and that's it's like when you repeatedly lie about the things that your company is going to be able to do, that has impact on the stock price and what people think that you're going to be able to offer. Like according to Elon 10 years ago, by now, Tesla drivers were supposed to be able to have a fully automated car that not only can navigate whatever trips that they want to go on, but can act as this like Uber and make money for you when you're not even driving. You just go home and then your car's just driving around, picking people up and doing stuff. This is what he told like shareholders and what he told people for years with, oh, yeah. very, with extreme confidence and saying, this is like by this time, this is what we're going to be doing to say nothing of the whole hyperloop thing and like all all his all his crazy promises over the years but like yeah that's not just free speech that's openly flagrantly lying about what engineering possibilities your company is offering 
with the intention of like having like that changes what people are going to invest in the company. Like not very different from what Elizabeth Holmes was doing, who's now going to prison for quite a while for the, for that exact thing. Yeah, but the difference is that the investors lost money, so that's why <laughs> they they went after Holmes, right? Yeah. Uh, so far, Elon's been able to keep the money in in the in their pockets. Um, it, it's interesting. About ten years ago, he also said he'd have a rocket on Mars by now, um, and obviously that has not happened. Um, any day, I, I, now. I, any day now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I also think the free speech thing is really interesting, though, right? Like. I, I don't remember the, the 60 Minutes interview very well. So I think it's really interesting how you say even back then he was like using this line about free speech. Um, because one thing that I have found in looking at like his statements recently on things like population and birth rates and all this kind of stuff is the stuff he's been saying now, he's been saying it for a really long time. It was just often more veiled, you know, the actual full meaning behind it. He wasn't as open about. Um, and there was an interview last summer with, I believe it was CNBC. Um, where he was kind of asking him about some of the stuff, like the interviewers asked him about some of the stuff that he was tweeting and how, you know, advertisers were leaving and he was facing kind of a backlash for it. And he like got really angry in that moment as well. Like, you know, uh, like when he told the advertisers to go fuck themselves um, and was basically saying like, this is my free speech. And like, if there's consequences to that, then, you know, whatever, like I have money, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, and there's this, like I, his understanding of free speech is like on the one hand really odd but also like of course this is how the right and like really rich people think or or at least want to deploy the idea of free speech because it acts as like a concept or a narrative that helps to insulate them as they promote these really kind of like bigoted and extreme right-wing ideas um and i think that tragically, in a sense, that idea of free speech has also infected like the broader public conversation where you have, you know, liberals who should know better um, kind of echoing these ideas as well, saying like, yeah, but it's free speech. You have to let people say what they want to say and have disagreements and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, when if you go and look kind of historically, that's not necessarily like the idea of free speech that is being put forward by the right right now is not necessarily how free speech has always been understood and certainly isn't you know in in other parts of the world outside the united states those places don't matter though yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well and it's really strange as well framing this idea of like advertising as like company could that doesn't count as free speech yeah. when a company says like i don't want to have my advertisements on a website where the leader the owner of the website is promoting these like extremely uh dangerous ideas and promoting these kinds of like fascist ideas like we don't we choose to not advertise on that because we don't want to be associated with it and he views that as some kind of like assault on free speech or something like that like that's really bizarre like this is the free market the thing that all these guys cherish and talk about as being this wonderful like economic engine the free market and then when these companies decide to not be involved with that you know, all of a sudden they don't, they don't think they should have the right. They think, just, they think it should be mandatory, I guess, for companies to advertise on this platform, regardless of anything that they're doing. And it's funny too, because like I would, most situations where someone told advertisers to go fuck themselves like that, I would be like, wonderful. I think that's great. I think it's fantastic to do that. I don't want to defend Disney or defend any of these <laughs> gigantic evil conglomerates or whatever, but um, Elon is just so uniquely vile and, and grotesque that it's like you're you're forced to kind of like take that perspective. But Rob, it's, Disney creates Avatar. 
what are you talking about? It's, it's James Cameron that creates Avatar yeah. in, in spite of Disney, not because of it. Okay? Yeah. That's, that's my view. Uh, I, I thought that moment, I can't remember where it was like pitch book or he was at some, some conference where he talked about yeah, the deal book summit. Uh, deal book. That's it. He, he, where you made those comments and singled out uh, Disney CEO in the process. And I, I, I really wonder what the rest of the C-suite at, at X, the everything app thought about that. Uh, Cause you know, they, they're in a hole, they're losing money. It's, worth maybe half of the amount he paid for it oh uh, less than eventually that. yeah yeah i think yeah. half is Fidelity's way too marked generous it down by 72 percent, i believe from its acquisition <laughs> price so Jesus yeah. is that and good like, <laughs> i don't know a lot about when you're winning stuff. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh he's playing the long game just just wait he'll, he'll turn yeah. around you buy the disc. It's going to become everybody's uh, bank by the end of the year. Didn't you know exactly. That? I'm just rushing, <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm rushing yeah. to give all my, he'll have, my information <laughs> to them. He'll have everyone's money to play with. But you see around the tech sector, like Twitch, even though it's owned by Amazon, is having financial problems. They just had another round of layoffs today, and they pointed to just a lack of financial sustainability. They haven't been profitable. Uh, their main driver of revenue after subs, or probably before subs, is, is advertising. Like, at least platforms need advertisers and he's going out there and saying like fuck you go fuck yourself to some of the biggest companies in the in the world who would be able to write huge checks to your company for advertisements instead now we've got all of these like we mentioned the crypto scammers sure they're they're paying to boost some of their posts but it's like drop shipping bullshit yeah. i can't i've lost track of the amount of times just this week i've seen like a, a plastic rubberized kitchen sink tray yeah yeah just an ad I for that, that over well. and over and over again it's i've like, been getting like a back scrubber so a lot bad. as well recently okay <laughs> it's yeah it's all like garbage it's like shit that costs maybe a dollar to make that someone is very clearly drop shipping and that's the advertising base when i was doing the tucker carlson campaign after all of the blue chip companies left it the advertising and nobody wanted to touch it it was like a cut, like my pillow, of course, would fill up like full slots sometimes. But then it was like, it, it was like a time machine because it was CD compilations of like country music, like <laughs> gospel hits. And I can't remember the last time before that moment. I couldn't remember the last time I saw a commercial on TV for CD compilations. But like that's how low it had gotten, and this is even lower. It's going to have one of those things where you can like order your VHS tapes is going to be like a new yeah. uh, <laughs> ad coming soon <laughs> of all the classics, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's going to turn into like a Cronenberg uh, Videodrome type situation. It starts <laughs> speaking to you, wanting to merge with your body or something. Um, there, was a whole, there was a whole period last week as well where I started getting a bunch of ads with Elon himself in them, like advertising these obviously scammy like crypto things or investment strategies that he's obviously not even involved with like that's amazing too like that's his platform and like these are some of his foremost advertisers are like using his image totally fraudulently to uh promote whatever well, picture of an ape or whatever it is that you're, <laughs> that you're being encouraged to buy you know it's, it's every now and then amazing. like the NFT ads pop up and I'm like, wait, you guys are still doing this? We're still like, doing this that, is yeah. still happening. I don't know if you saw the news. I think it was last week. Um, if Twitter has officially disabled the NFT profile pictures. Wow. Um, yeah. 
that lasted what a whole eight, 18 Two months years. or so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's got to, you got to think about the, one of the, like the, one of the ape guys, like checking his daily ape pro- portfolio being like any day now, this is going to go right back up to where it was. <laughs> like, no, it's, it's over, <laughs> sir. Your pictures, those pictures of apes were never worth anything. I'm sorry to tell you. I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, I had a laugh at the end of last year. There was a, uh, a big ape heist. And I was like, wait, are we in 2021? Like, yeah. this is 2023. What's going on here? Are these posts new? Is this really yeah. happening? All my apes are gone. <laughs> I really liked the uh, the convention that they had a few months ago. I liked that story where they, oh, they used like blinded themselves? Like the wrong, yeah. yeah, the wrong kind of UV light. Yes. And everybody had like sensory <laughs> issues yeah. when they left. They got these like <laughs> medical grade, like cancer screening UV lights and they all gave themselves like <laughs> horrific burns. And I like, I almost feel bad. Like I feel bad that people are subjecting themselves to this, but it's like, this is not, this is not a good community to be a part of. It was, that was <laughs> the whole web three thing of the NFTs was, was a really surreal moment because it just seemed so obviously to be totally fake. And like, yeah. obviously this image of an ape is worth nothing. Like me, I know nothing about, finances or how any of this works and i know still just from basically looking at this this isn't very obvious scam uh you're spending a whole you're spending your whole life savings on ape images and i feel like there's something strange going on where people are getting roped into this idea that that's a that's a sound investment strategy for a little while if it was happening now like people would just be getting like chat GBT or well like dolly or mid journey to like churn out their nft collections like yeah constantly you know yeah for um, sure and and these things were often just really like generic things put together by probably someone on fiverr so like it was just just above like a an image generator app doing it but yeah that's what we'd be seeing today i wonder if it's like you know i think a lot sometimes about like the the in the Soviet Union, like when the Soviet Union was on the verge of like collapse and this new kind of system was forming and 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 capitalism was starting to, to reemerge in Russia and these other former Soviet republics, how it was just like all scams and all pyramid schemes and scams and people lost everything. People had no idea like what this, you know, what this economic system was about. All the kind of social benefits that were part of the socialist system were all of a sudden gone away. And and just like the entire thing was just this completely predatory hellscape of all kinds of different scams and and stuff like that and it it feels sometimes like that like we're in this kind of like transitory period where this our economic system is so it's the can has been kicked so many times down the road like every time we think that our whole economic system is on the verge of collapse they print trillions of dollars to inject in there to to keep it keep the machine turning for a little while and it seems like some of these crazy weird financial schemes and scams that we're, we're seeing take over are kind of elements of that, of this kind of like decaying economic system. I don't know. Yeah, I, I read a book um, last year, the year before, free by Leah Yippie. And basically like it was about her childhood in socialist Albania. And that that's one of the things that she was kind of talking about in the book as like, as the socialist system was kind of like collapsing, there were like crazy pyramid schemes that like everyone was getting involved in because nobody like really understood capitalist economics. And so people were just like totally taking advantage of it and be like, yeah, put your money in, you'll get all these crazy returns, like no problem, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. It's wild. People starting all kinds of cults and pyramid schemes, that kind of stuff. Absolutely, absolutely despicable. 
I don't know. Yeah, Preying reprehensible like behavior. That's yeah, unbelievable. Did um, you did you ever see that um, that clip of George Lucas? And he's basically talking about like filmmaking, and he's saying that you know one of the things about the Soviet system was that like they couldn't um, criticize like the government, but beyond that, they could basically like do whatever. And he was like, but here in America, like we have this really narrow range of what's acceptable. Like we can criticize the government, that's fine. But like, there's this really narrow range of commercialism that we get stuck into. And if our movie is not like, you know, a movie that is going to suit like the commercial needs of the major studios, then like it won't get made and, and you can't have anyone see it. Um, and he was like, actually, one thing that people don't realize is that in the Soviet Union, people had a lot more creative freedom. Yeah. It was just like, as long as you didn't criticize the government, you were fine to go for it. Whereas capitalism has its own ways of like constraining creativity and criticism uh, in ways that are not as like direct as the yeah. government just saying, no, you're not allowed, right? And all the while telling ourselves that we live in this like land of abundant free speech and free expression where there's, and where there's no limit on anything that we can say. But you have these market forces that ensure that, that uh, that's not the case. Yeah, if you're Elon, there's no limit apparently. Yeah, exactly. uh, at least so far. <laughs> um, is there anything else in the tech world? I, okay, so here's I wanted to ask about this as well because there's been, you know, a lot of talk about Twitter. There's people that have been that have left the website in droves, going to other places like Blue Sky or Threads or whatever else. And um, you've seen a number of other because, like, I, I think. I don't want to say the fears are overblown. We've talked about the ways that Elon Musk has, has totally gone down this path and has, has uh, given this kind of red meat to these really extreme reactionary views. So I don't want to downplay that. At the same time, I would say that stuff has always been present on Twitter. And that's as long as I remember being kind of politically active on Twitter. That's always been a constant conversation talking about like totally. these fascists and Nazis on the platform with the, the Jack Dorsey at that time refusing to ever really do anything about that. You also yeah, see. Yeah, remember he wouldn't take Alex Jones off for ages. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. It yeah. really just became, and only until January 6th and all that stuff, that there was this kind of breaking point with QAnon and Alex Jones and Trump and all this stuff where they were kind of forced to act because of how outraged everyone was over, over what it had led to. Um, but then you see other platforms as well, uh, like Facebook or Meta uh, or others that are also uh, censoring, especially when it comes to like Israel Palestine, censoring a lot of like pro Palestine content. Um, you see, this is kind of a pervasive issue all across social media, and in many ways, like no matter with all the problems with Twitter, which obviously there are, there are a lot, or X dot com, the everything app. Um, but I still do think it it still kind of remains one of the better platforms for sharing that kind of information. Like there's still been a lot of a lot of pro Palestinian content that has gone really viral over the last couple of months, and. I think that's one kind of interesting aspect to that. As much as we talk, talk and complain about Musk, there is still this this element of the website that the people are still continuing to use it for the same purposes they've always done, which is sharing narratives that kind of run counter to mainstream narratives and promoting social justice issues, promoting Palestine or whatever else. And it's still a play. I still kind of feel with all the problems and defects and the problems with Musk specifically, it still remains kind of, I think, the best place to be having some of those conversations, like in spite of Elon and everything that he's done to make it worse. Yeah, totally. You know, he has obviously changed the nature of the platform. Um, he's kind of scared a lot of people off of it. And meanwhile, with his changes, he has kind of further 
um, empowered and, and kind of further platformed the far right on the platform. But that doesn't mean that he's destroyed kind of all the relationships and network effects and kind of like existing followings that people had in order to, you know, kind of encourage things to take off, even if they don't have Twitter blue or X premium or whatever he's calling it these days, X premium plus, I don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, you know, I, I think the interesting thing, and and this is just kind of my experience, like obviously things will still go viral on Twitter, right? Because there's a ton of people there. There's a lot of people who who still have big followings from, you know, kind of the pre-must days who can still get things to take off. My experience is that um, I'm finding that some of my stuff does not work as well on Twitter anymore. You know, Twitter is still the platform where I have the largest following of of you know, any platform that I'm on, but I post about tech stuff specifically, mainly, right. I, I post about a lot of stuff, but usually when I'm like promoting content or whatever, it's, um, things that I've written or podcasts oh, that yeah. I've made that any relate to technology at all. Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Totally dead on and arrival. Totally. So I find that stuff does not work particularly well anymore. Um, but like surprisingly, I will see that stuff take off on Mastodon or on blue sky sometimes like a post i'll share on blue sky and on twitter will get more shares on blue sky a platform with like two or three million users than it will on twitter and where i have maybe like three thousand followers or something so like yeah i i don't know exactly what is going on there i think like larger scale um i think we're just kind of seeing like a, a shakeout in the social media landscape that's existed for the past like 10 or 15 years right um I don't think that this is something that is going to be around forever. We've already seen Facebook kind of, you know, um, experience its kind of stagnation period and, and find it difficult to get people on there and has been really trying to take advantage of Instagram to be the way that it's kind of making money and kind of keeping people engaged with its larger platform, especially by trying to tie all those networks together. But even that, I think people are kind of pushing back against because they don't like all the changes that meta is making to the Instagram platform. And, you know, again, I think that Twitter, even though it still has a lot of users, even though, um, you know, things can still go viral there and stuff. I think that a lot of people are also getting kind of tired of that platform, um, as things, you know, continue to move. Like I know personally, I don't use it as much as I used to. And when I am on there, I often feel kind of frustrated with it. Uh, it doesn't work as well as it used to and stuff like that. So I don't know kind of what the future really holds for social media. It seems like we're in an era where we're making kind of a collective pivot to video once again. And I don't know what's going to It worked so well the first time. So we might as well run it back. But like, you know, TikTok is really taking off. Um, I don't know how much kind of money people are making from TikTok or TikTok directly or like how the business model of that works because ultimately any of these platforms that takes off still has to find a way to remunerate the people who really take off on them. Um, Maybe one of the things that TikTok benefits from is having this kind of algorithm that can just push random people um, and their videos like from obscurity to like everybody watching them. And that means that there's less pressure to pay people for that stuff. I don't know. Um, but I would say, especially in the Palestine stuff, as you were saying, that was, that's was that been another platform where a lot of that kind of, kind of pro-Palestinian content has really been taking off. And in part, that's because, you know, a lot of young people use it. And young people tend yeah. to be much more pro-Palestine, right? And that's why there's these talks about why we, we got to get rid of TikTok. It's the reason yeah. people are against this genocide that we're helping pay for is because of tiktok and these yeah china's interfering in our algorithms are are brainwashing (laughs) kids to be against 
genocide and like we're the nonstop uh, mass murder of little kids. It's because of that. Yeah, it's it's a funny way to try to uh, go about that. On the migration point, I, I'm curious, Paris, from your perspective, what you make of uh, a site like or an outlet like Platformer, which for some people who don't know, it's a Substack based uh, publication over 170,000 subscribers. I would assume many, many more readers who land there just from social referrals. They announced tonight that they are migrating to Ghost, which is an open source newsletter alternative where some people who were fed up with Substack have gone in the past. A platformer made it clear they they were upset about Substack hosting uh, a handful of publications with explicit Nazi views. And that's not where the reprehensible views on Substack end. Those are just some of the worst examples. And they met with Substack to talk through their concerns. And they expressed in their post announcing their their transition that they didn't get a sufficient response. And it wasn't that, oh, they're going to kick everybody with the views we don't agree with off. It's we want some assurance that you're going to do something about explicitly open Nazi content on your site. And Substack just couldn't commit to that. So I'm wondering from your perspective, uh, someone who uses the site, I mean, we're on we're on there for our show. It's it's a it's a tricky issue. I'm curious what you what you think of uh, whether or not people should be engaging with that platform altogether. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think it's a tricky issue. And as you say, I have a Substack Substack newsletter. Um, you know, it's it's almost a year old. Um, I decided to start it knowing that. Um, Substack already had issues with transphobia, with with racism, with kind of people who were bigoted being on there. But when you think about newsletter platforms, um, Substack had network effects that I knew would be beneficial when I, you know, to get something off of the ground, right? And and especially in that moment, it felt like a lot of people had been starting them, or like there was kind of a real influx to the platform. So I said, okay, you know, I'll give this a shot. I'll give it a year or so to see what is going to happen and then I'll decide what's going to happen. And it just so happened that right around the year of the newsletter, I was figuring I'd, I'd probably switch like later in 2024 or something. But because of this Nazi controversy, um, you know, I'm in the process of migrating uh, my newsletter off of Substack and onto a different platform called Ghost. And so I think for me, it became kind of untenable, but I think that the platformer approach for, for something that is a large platform like they are, like a large newsletter has a lot of readers, but also isn't like explicitly kind of left wing and I'm sure has a lot of readers who would consider themselves to be right wing. I think it was a fair and reasonable approach to say, hey, there's this thing that because the Atlantic reported on it, that's how it kind of took off was that the Atlantic had um, an article or an investigation kind of looking at how Substack was platforming Nazis. Um, and then so platformer kind of looked and found, uh, I think it was six or eight uh, newsletters that were kind of explicitly pushing Nazi views and, and using Nazi kind of logos. And then in dozens more that were pushing kind of um, far right views that basically aligned with these sorts of things, right? Um, there's another researcher, Jessica, I can't remember her surname at the moment, who um, said that she found 75 Nazi publications on the platform. So basically, you know, platformer approached them, said, this is what we found, approached kind of the leadership of Substack and said, you know, are you going to address this or, you know, are you just going to let this go? And after that meeting, 
uh, Substack did remove some posts. Platformers initial kind of um, article about that just said that Substack removed Nazi posts and included a statement that a lot of people weren't very happy with from the leadership about their decision to do that. Then it came out a little bit later that what they had actually done was removed five Nazi newsletters that were not monetized and that cumulatively um, had about 100 readers in total. So, so, you know, newsletters that nobody was reading, that it was easy for them to get rid of. And it became clear very quickly that this was a move to try to like have a bit of a PR win, hopefully get this behind them, hopefully have it so nobody was paying attention. Um, and, you know, but once that came out, it became very clear that they have no intention of addressing the problem. As you say, Nazis are like the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what's on Substack that is quite objectionable. Um, and it has become very clear based on statements from leadership, interviews that they've given, um, statements that they've made in response to this controversy and others, that they have no intention of dealing with this because they kind of align with that vision of free speech that we've been talking about that people like Elon Musk promote, where you should be able to say whatever you want to say, even if it's kind of you know Nazi stuff that's explicitly targeting minorities and different groups in society, um, as long as you're not going right to the edge of like calling for explicit violence against them is what they'll say. Um, meanwhile, they'll remove sex workers and anything that has to do with nudity. Um, you know, they can, they can say that that's bad, but not, um, but not Nazis. And, you know, I think most people would say Nazis are far worse than some nudity and sex workers <laughs> using your platform. They should be allowed. Right. Um, so th that's a long way of saying that I think the approach that platformer ultimately took was, you know, a respectable thing for a platform platform of their size. Um, I was critical of some of the statements that they made, you know, kind of through the process, but seeing where they've ended up, um, you know, where they've now decided that they're going to move, you know, I think it's a respectable path to take. Um, Garbage Day, which is another kind of big newsletter announced uh, this morning or yesterday that they were moving as well. Uh, a lot of smaller newsletters, you know, Molly White, for example, a cryptocurrency critic, she moved her newsletter last week. Um, a number of other people are at least in the process or have already done so. Um, so it does seem that there's going to be quite an exodus as a result of this. But it seems like the leadership at Substack have calculated that you know, they make their money from the conservatives, from the bigots, from the people who, you know, kind of believe the same free speech, you know, kind of the uh, same version of free speech that they kind of align with and that that is where they're sticking, um, you know, because that's where they see the money is. And I'm sure, you know, they have venture funders as well who are kind of these right wing people in Silicon Valley, people like Mark Andreessen. Um, and I'm sure it wouldn't work well to piss them off either. Sorry, I know that's a bit of a long answer to what you asked. No, it's comprehensive though. And I think that really sums up also like what this tech bro vision for free speech really is. So like whether it's where they're talking about Elon Musk or Substack or any other platform or Jack Dorsey or whoever. Um, it's there should be no limit to how far right wing beliefs you can have on your platform, but it, that doesn't mean it's this comprehensive, everyone can say whatever they want. It just really applies to people with extreme right wing beliefs. And yeah. but still we're gonna we're gonna silence people, uh, you know, socialists, we're gonna silence people, uh, sex workers, we're gonna we're going to, you know, go after all kinds of people. It's not this kind of like ideological commitment to everyone having this ability to say what they want. It's purely like a, if you're extreme right, if you're a Nazi, you have free speech. And that's pretty much all that really means. 
Yeah. I think I would say as well to address the one point that, that I didn't address is, you know, I think that there is a reasonable concern by people who are deciding to leave the platform or trying to decide whether they are as to losing those network effects that come with Substack, losing the kind of visibility that come with that. I know it's something that I've kind of you know, being concerned that it might affect kind of newsletter growth or ability to kind of get new readers and stuff like that. Um, but ultimately, I just think it's something that, you know, you have to get around. Like a newsletter of mine has 10,000 subscribers and stuff. I, you know, I think it'll be fine. Maybe it'll reduce a bit of future growth. I can't say for sure. Um, but I also think that Substack is likely good at kind of making people fear that the effects of moving will be much greater than they actually will be. Because another thing, of course, that if anyone has a paid newsletter, Substack takes 10% um, of any of you know the payments that you receive, uh, whereas other platforms won't take any of that and will just ask for kind of like a monthly um, fee based on the number of subscribers that you have. So depending on you know how that plays out, it could you know work in your favor then as well. But I think for someone like platformer, like for um, a newsletter that 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 that's that large, I can't see how they're really how they're I can't see there being any particular benefits to still being on Substack in terms of like readership growth and stuff like that. I would think they've kind of mined that well at this point, and it really doesn't matter if they leave. I think the bigger concern is for smaller people just getting started, especially if they don't have. Um, a pre-existing following on social media or some other platform that they can't funnel into it already. But even then, you know, I don't know how easy that works if you're someone who has kind of, you know, no real following online to get started anywhere these days. I think it's tough to break in, you know, at all, right? Paris, before we let you go, um, we got to plug something. We're working on a little something together. That's kind of fun, isn't it? What? Yeah. Working with you? I know. You I'm just sorry. got banned on Twitter or I suspended. I can't work with I'm a suspended person. Yeah, with my subversive, <laughs> uh, dangerous beliefs. That's why they That's why they got rid of me. But uh, Paris and I are going to be doing a live uh, show here in Montreal. This is on uh, January 20th at Lenex on St. Catherine Street, um, along with our friend Nashua Lena Khan. Uh, the event is called News Sucks. We know it's the first uh, in the Harbinger Soapbox series. This is like a live event that we're doing just to kind of start taking this some of these conversations that we have on social media and doing it in like kind of a more intimate uh, live setting. We're going to talk about Canadian media and make fun of a lot of dipshit uh, Canadian journalists and maybe to maybe have some kind of productive conversation about how things can be better. But I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be fun. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's going to be a good laugh. Obviously, we've been talking about doing this for a little while. Um, finally, looks like it's going to come to fruition on January 20th. Um, and I think it's going to be, you know, a good chat, a good conversation, a good opportunity to like, you know, get to meet some new people. If you're coming out as like an attendee, there's going to be a bunch of kind of left and progressive groups in Montreal who are going to be out as well, um, you know, with like flyers and information on the stuff that they do at the event. So, yeah, I think it'll be uh, really cool. Yeah, I think we might be having Palestinian Youth Movement Bake Sale as well as part of that. All kinds of cool I stuff believe going so. on. Yeah, yeah, so if you're in Montreal or the surrounding area, I know like a, a sizable percentage of this uh, listenership of this podcast are in Canada. So if you're listening to this and you're in the area, January 20th, uh, it should be a really fun time. We can put a link in the, in the show notes, uh, but we look forward to seeing everyone there. I think it's going to be a really, really good time. Paris, thanks for joining the show. It was really great to, to have you on here finally. Uh, before we let you go, do you just want to just uh, plug the, the rest of the you know Tech One Save Us and whatever else you have working on? 
Sure, sure. Uh, you know, I host a podcast called Tech Won't Save Us. You can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, I also write a newsletter called Disconnect. It's at disconnect.blog. Um, you know, and I'm sure you can find me on social media if you want to. There's a ton of platforms now. I'm usually at Paris Marks on whatever one you want to find me on. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Paris. Absolutely. Great to speak with you. <laughs>